Welcome to The Future of What. I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. At Music Biz, we decided that continuing to provide a forum for our community to come together and support each other was the most important thing we could do right now. So we started a Zoom chat series called Music Biz Live. Today's episode is the audio from my chat about the plight of live music venues during the pandemic. Many things are still uncertain, but one thing's for sure, we're all in this together. On today's episode, we talk about what's happening since venues can't be open. It's all coming up on the future of what. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Reverend Moose and Dana Frank of Neva and Nareet Smith of the House of Blues Music Forward Foundation. So the topic of our conversation today, as everyone knows, is the situation with live music. And obviously, you know, when this whole thing went down, the very first thing to go was live music and independent retail. You know, anybody that has a forward-facing public situation where we're cramming a lot of people into a room we are no longer doing that immediately. And I was thinking, I sort of wanted to start out with a little bit of an overview of what that impact really looks like for a given town. I just lived for the last 12 years in Portland, Oregon, where if you have several venues with three bands a night, six days a week, it was something on the order of 10,000 bands a year that were performing live. And, you know, and that's just completely halted. And so it's not just the bands. It's also the people who work at the venues, the promoters, the people who serve the drinks, the people who clean up everybody. And we thought that was a really important aspect of our business that we don't get a chance to talk about a lot. So we wanted to talk to you guys. Narita, I'm going to get started with you. Can you just give us an overview of what the House of Blues Music Forward Foundation has done in the past? Right. The pre-COVID, post-COVID explanation (laughs) birthed out of the House of Blues and the tenets around help ever, hurt never, unity and diversity, all that cultural understanding that was so embedded inside of the House of Blues was how we were created. But seven or eight years ago, we pivoted into not just being a bridge for community into a venue, but a bridge for community into the music industry as a whole. So the industry, having a healthy, vibrant industry is so intricately connected to the work that we have been doing for the nearly the past decade on ensuring young people have access and opportunity in the industry. And so that is a lot of the work that we do and we still continue to do is be a resource and a pillar for the next generation of those entering the the music industry. And, And we continue to focus on that in the virtual space, but of course have this amazing opportunity with the initiative of Crew Nation to be able to directly impact those affected by uh, COVID inside of the live entertainment world. And and I don't know if we want to talk about Crew Nation right now as a whole, or if we want to sort of popcorn around to to the others on what we did pre-COVID versus what we do post-COVID. Well, you know, I think, you know, Dana, you run First Ave, which is, you know, this incredibly amazing, historic venue in Minneapolis. I lived in Minneapolis and my band played First Ave 
back in the 90s after trying to make it. The main room or the entry? We played the entry. But I feel like everyone has a first half story. You know, everyone that I know in the industry, such a great venue. So do you want to talk about what was it like before COVID? I mean, when I say everything came to a screeching halt, it really did, right? Yeah. I mean, people are like, oh, what was it? What's it like owning a music venue? I was like, well, two months ago, it was effing amazing. Now, man, I don't know. No, but it was great. I mean, yeah, it's amazing because like you said, like first time, it's not just like four walls and a soundstage, you know, like it can't happen anywhere. It is so specific to Minneapolis. It's history. It's people what it means and like just to be like indentured and indebted to a community that, you know, we really nurture, we build, we foster, we nurtured it. It's, you know, I, I think of First Ave as not just a venue, but like an ethos and like, you know, a, an epicenter of an entire community. So I feel like our responsibility is to that entire community right now. And so it's stressful and, but it feels like meaningful and impactful at the same time. And Moose, you you run a, a company that has worked with live venues for years. So what was the impact that this had on you? Well, you know, obviously the shutdown started right before South by Southwest. So for us, the impact was pretty immediate in terms of we had projects we'd been working on for a year in some cases that just hit the brakes hard. And some of those were able to change to other directions and others just stopped. And that's the, the harsh reality of it. A lot of the larger events that we work with throughout the year, we produce Indie Week for A2IM, we run Independent Venue Week in the US, you know, those have all changed in some way. And there's no real foreseeable date where stuff is going back on the calendar. So even something like Independent Venue Week, where the entire intent is to help venues across the country sell tickets we can't necessarily move forward with the idea that nobody will be selling tickets, but we also can't move forward with the idea that anybody would be selling tickets. And so we're in this sort of middle ground of it's probably more important now than it ever has been to be able to celebrate the independent venues and to be able to help them stay in business. But the actual execution of what independent venue week is going to be is still being created. It's two months away and we're still kind of mapping out different options. Yeah, I think we're all realizing how interconnected, though, we are and how the creative economy as a whole is not just that artist you see on stage. I think that we know this and and that's what Music Forward is constantly teaching the young people that are coming in of all these jobs and all these opportunities. And we're now seeing that gap in support, that social safety net around the creative economy how porous it has been. And we're seeing that and how interconnected all of our people, our audiences, our communities are to the live entertainment. When I was in Portland, I helped start an industry trade association there called Music Portland. And it's funny because the venues in that town are so to the entire ecosystem, even though there are businesses like CD Baby and, you know, there's a licensing house called Marmoset. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's happening. There are a lot of gear manufacturers, but really it's the, the lifeblood of everything is those venues. So I'm not usually a Pollyanna. I'm not usually like, everything's actually great, especially at this point in history. But one thing I have been noticing as we've been doing these music biz lives is that there have been all these silver linings coming up. And I think just like the infinite creativity of people in the music industry is so impressive and so to be applauded. So I want to 
take this opportunity to talk about what you guys, Dana and Moose, have done, what you guys pulled together, this independent venue trade association that somehow you guys pulled this together just in the last few weeks. Who wants to talk about that? 19 days. Go for it. I, I give all the credit to Moose, so take it away. You know, when the shutdowns happened and it happened quickly, I think that we looked at ourselves from the standpoint of Independent Venue Week as basically having some responsibility to be able to do something. And so what we did was we launched a weekly series, a weekly town hall. And, you know, it started with somewhere around 80 or so venues that were participating and ideas were just thrown out. And now it's a regular occurrence and there's a pretty significant amount of venues that join it. And the conversation kept coming up, which was, you know, we have to do something. Like somebody has to do something. Something has to be done. And there just wasn't the person or organization or something to be able to go to Capitol Hill and say, we need you to look out for our best interests. So as much as Dana Dana's giving me credit, it was truly a group decision. And Dana was at the top of that mountain being able to champion and put the pieces together. From concept to execution was less than a week. And we were very fortunate to be able to get funding from seat tickets, from light, from e-ticks. You know, we have partners that have basically said it's important to them that the, that the ecosystem of independent venues continues to exist. And that's been able to give us the confidence to be able to make the financial investments we need to make by securing a lobbyist in D.C. and being able to rally together to right now we have over 1,100 members that are independent promoters or venues from across the country. And that's 1,100 members in less than two weeks from the moment it was announced. And that number just keeps growing. Wow. That is really, really impressive. So now you've hired a lobbyist in DC. And I get the impression that the idea is that we are trying to get venues specifically included in the next round of legislation. Is that correct? Yeah, there's some changes to the PPP program, because it just does not work for our industry. When you read the details, you see that it's it's designed for businesses, you know, kind of like bridge support until they're back up and running July 1st. I mean, I hope venues somewhere, maybe at some capacity, but, you know, I think it's becoming clear that for the majority, if not virtually all, it's going to be a very, very long time. And so we need targeted regulatory and financial support to keep, like Moose said, to keep the ecosystem of independent venues, you know, because you know, like most of our members don't have corporate parents, they don't have any financial backstops, most don't even have investors, there's nowhere to turn to. And so the primary option that was was put forward was to get an SBA loan to put a personnel and a corporate guarantee. And, you know, you just start paying this loan back uh, at six months, or maybe after a year, you might not even have any revenue by then. And so, you know, there's just a lot of elements that, that we've laid out in our letter to Congress where you know, we need changes in order to support an entire industry. And then there's a couple other asks like tax and tax relief and some like a potential recovery fund and mortgage and rent forbearance.
That was Excuse Generator by Lithix. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Reverend Moose and Dana Frank of Neva and Nareet Smith of the House of Blues Music Forward Foundation. So Nareet, the main reason I had you on here is because you are taking care of something called Crew Nation, which is an initiative put together by Live Nation, which is the owner of a lot of larger venues in America. Do you want to talk about how Crew Nation is going to work? Sure. And it's happening and it's working. For those that have resources, there was an immediacy when COVID hit onto understanding what was needed, what was out there, and where the gaps were, and quickly realized that there wasn't a lot of support for all the crew members that were going to be affected by venues shutting down, tours shutting down, festivals, all of that stuff. So it was an initiative that Live Nation, and particularly Michael Rapino, had a very strong passion point for these groups of workers around the world who sustain and maintain our live entertainment world. And it was brilliant in that it was a $5 million into the pot and then a $5 million challenge grant. And we've been able to raise another $3 million. So we're at about $11 million. We have 7,500 applications that have come in, 6,000 in the United States, about another 1,500 globally. This week, the applications opened about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, and this week we're pushing out our first million dollars into the hands of crew members. And it is something we're doing. We thought, oh, well, this is just going to be an immediate thing. We're up for three months and we'll be ready to get back on. But realizing the long tail of this recovery, particularly, we were one of the first to shut. We're probably going to be one of the last to walk in to recovery. So I think that we're realizing that Crew Nation as an initiative will be here as long as we can continue to raise dollars. We will be here for crew members and continue to be here. Those affected by shows that were closed and venues that closed in March and April, we're serving right now. We're probably going to be opening up May and June in the next couple of weeks and so on and so on. Again, until we can continue to be here, until there's funding in the pot, we will continue to serve those crew members. How do you guys handle the conversations that are going on at a national level right now where all these governors, including the governor of the state that I live in, who says that now we can reopen our state on Friday? How are you guys balancing that with what you understand about the live experience? I mean, look, everybody wants to reopen. Right. There's nobody that's that doesn't want to reopen. But there's also other conversations that are being had that don't yet have answers. There's a lack of clear guidance as to how that can be done safely. There's a lack of what that means to the employees at the venues, the artists that perform at the venues, what that means for the fans. If you're a GA room versus a seated room, how do you ensure that there's going to be social distancing? And then there's also uh, and this is specific to, to what our asks are from Congress. There's a lack of being able to fill that gap between being able to open and actually having the business to open. So you have tours that need to be put together, artists that need to figure out how they work. And then, of course, all the business logistics of it is 
are you even going to make enough money to pay your staff and the artists? Are all of these elements going to come in? Do the fans want to go out? The idea is say yes, and the business will, will come. And that's just not, I think, a realistic ask right now. I think it's, first of all, get the confidence that you are able to reopen, whether that's through a vaccine or whether it's through declining numbers or whatever the process might be. And then it's provide the tools that allow that to happen where the business can fill that existing gap right now. And those tools, they have to be financial if there's going to be additional infrastructure investments that need to be made. It needs to be able to help support the fact that there's no income coming in until you're actually able to put on the show. So it's not even just a matter of selling the tickets. You have to actually be able to see this through. And you know, I think that as nice as it is to hear that from a governmental level, at least within our organization, the conversations we're having is people want more confidence in being able to make that commitment. There's also a, a commitment they're making to their staff. So nobody wants to put everyone back in, in place and open up the doors and then be told six weeks later or six months later, it was a false alarm. And now you have to go through it all over again. It's brutal enough as it is. Definitely. And Dana, do you want to speak a little bit to whether, you know, I'm assuming having talked to all these other venue owners within the last two weeks, you're probably hearing some stories of innovations happening. I mean, really, are there things that venue owners can do with their venues other than put on shows? Is that even possible at this point? I mean, I think, you know, folks are experimenting with live streaming. I don't know if anyone has figured out a way to monetize that. But, you know, like you said, independent promoters and music people are very creative and very innovative. And I I know everyone's staying busy. As far as our venues themselves, I mean, I know some like arenas are being used as like hospitals or materials, storing grounds. I think clubs are and theaters maybe, you know, it's not at the best use for that. I talked to one venue owner in New Orleans that was using his kitchen to feed first responders and to feed healthcare workers. And so I think everyone is, is doing what they can to support their community because that's what we do. Like I said, we're not just a venue, we're, we're community builders and we're community centers. And so venues are, are doing what they can in order to be beneficial at this time. I want to know, Dana, what you think when we do get back to work here, what this new normal might look like. Like from the <laughs> venue's perspective, like are we going to have thermometer checks and is everyone going to be wearing masks and gloves and that kind of stuff? Yeah. I mean, do you think that there's going to be that for a while? I mean, do you think that that's probably like the first way this is going to work? Oh, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I mean, I know that we are looking to see and the World Health Organization and we're going to do everything that we have to do to keep people safe. Because I think we have to remember this is a global health crisis, first and foremost. And I know everyone like the music economy and we're all like concerned about our businesses and our employees and our artists. But first and foremost, we have to worry about keeping the world safe. And if that means we have to close our doors, then that's what we're going to do. And if that means we can't reopen, then we're not going to reopen. And so no one on my staff is a medical doctor. We're going to take our advice from the experts who know how to keep people safe. And through Neva, what we're going to do is we're going to coalesce what the experts are saying, and we're going to help distribute it to our 1,100 at that point, maybe 2,000 members, so that we can make sure that independent venues and clubs and theaters and the honky tonks in Texas to the, the comedy club in New York City, like everyone has the proper guidelines. Because the last thing we want is to open up, have somebody get sick at our club and then have to shut down again. And so, 
you know, we're pretty focused not on writing the rules and regulations, but making sure that we can coalesce the info and distribute it in a, in a really effective manner. Yeah. You know, I have this vision in my head of, you know, I went, I had to go to Target yesterday and they've already put little X's on the floor for where you can stand. You know, everyone's already doing that. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to go to First Ave and stand on my little X, like find my X and that's first. <laughs> There's no way. We can't stop kids from rushing the stage. And even if we could, we have to have so many employees that it would make it inherently unsafe. So no, we're not, we're not going to do anything that compromises people's safety and health just to be able to open. Absolutely not. I think that there's some interesting conversations happening around what a WPA type of program would look like for the creative economy. How can we, you know, we're going through this metamorphosis and what does some of that innovation and intentionality on creating a healthier ecosystem look like as we walk out of this together? And there is both on the national level as well as certain statewide, some of these different types of initiatives around this worker training world to get creatives back into the workforce even before some of our venues are ready to come back? Or how can these venues be part of the recovery process in the meantime in that WPA kind of sensibility? We're conceptualizing as we're building. So in the next week or so, I'll be seeing some of those plans come come to fruition. And I, I look forward to seeing how all of us can put some some of our, our feedback into this for whether it is for the next generation that, that uh, Music Forward and, and the crew members, and then again from Neva's sort of point of view as well, how we can ensure that the entire world that we work in is as healthy as as it can be going through this and then coming out the other side, how can we be stronger than we were? You know, it's interesting that you say that, Nareet, because I think that venues overall, especially the local ones, the, the, the neighborhood venues, the ones that are owned by the folks that have lived in these towns for generations, they're the first ones to open up their doors when people need help. And they're the first ones to host these charity events and benefits. And, you know, the artists that, that are in these communities are the first ones to come out. And you can look at you know, Dave Chappelle's done it over and over and over again, and, and he's not the only one. And there's plenty of musicians that have done it on a regular basis where they're championing their local communities because they're part of that community. And I think that what is unique in this aspect is the people that work here are still helping. They just can't use the biggest tool they have, which is their space. Right. And so you have this, this great asset that has been so utilized by so many people for so many years and now that asset is, at least health speaking, a liability. But you still have the, the mentality to want to help. And it's, a, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting paradox because now it's those, those venues that need the help or they're not going to be able to exist on the other side of this.
That was Giant Brain by Wimps. You're listening to The Future of What? After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. Also, check out our short podcast series about Bratmobile's Potty Mouth. It's called Girl Germs, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Reverend Moose and Dana Frank of Neva and Nareet Smith of the House of Blues Music Forward Foundation. There's a question in the Q&A that I think is interesting because it brings up sort of, I feel like what we're saying here is there doesn't seem to be necessarily real half measures for venues. Like it doesn't seem like we're going to be happy having social distancing at venues because it's just not the right space for that. So this question is, how will social distancing requirements affect current contract revisions? If there's no vaccine till April, 2021, for example, contracts for a 1500 seat space could be capped at 50% capacity. Will there be an industry-wide understanding with agencies to work with us on this into spring 2021? What do you guys think about that? I mean, I don't think anyone on this phone call is a talent buyer or agent, but the real silver lining of this nightmare has been everybody working together. And so I'm sure, I mean, the live music industry is just as important for artists as it is for venues as it is for employees. And so I at least am very hopeful that the talent buyers and the agents and it, you know, we'll work it out to the best, you know, to the maximum benefit of both sides. Moose, did I see you wanting to say something? Well, I just don't think that there's necessarily a standard answer to this, right? Like you're asking for a, a, the, the question is asking for a uniform answer to something where there is no uniform answer. It's kind of like asking what are the terms on every deal that's booked and that just, it doesn't exist. But like Dana said, there's a certain amount of flexibility that I think is being seen from both sides. Certainly in the conversations that are being had, you're hearing of folks that are trying to be as amicable as as possible. And the other reality of that is the artists themselves are going to end up taking a hit if they can't play to full rooms themselves. So if you're an artist and if things open in stages and the 100 or 300 cap rooms are first and then the five or the 800 rooms are next, it doesn't necessarily mean that these bands that are normally playing 1,500 or 15,000 cap venues are going to be able to magically make those numbers happen, but they're still going to want to go on tour. So they're going to end up taking a hit as well as the agents, as well as the venues. It's going to be downsized across the board until that comfort level and that security is back in place. Right. I think it's ensuring that the burden doesn't sit just on one part of the industry. And that's why I think going to what Dana was saying that the partnerships and the relationships that are being built. You know, we're seeing that humanity, we're seeing that connection. And and I think aspirationally, we're all hoping that this is something that sticks through this time, but that we realize we're all in this together. I mean, to that point, Moose and Dana, you know, I think it's really exciting. You guys pulled a trade association together in two weeks for a very specific purpose. But I also tend to think that it's sort of like, if you build it, they will come. I feel like you guys are going to find more. I I bet these independent venues are going to find more and more reasons why this association benefits them in the long run. Because I was there at the birth of the Independent Label Trade Association, A2IM. And I'm here to tell you, there's nobody more independent than an independent label. They were like, I'm over here doing my thing. You people, I have nothing to say to you. And after 15 years or something... Suddenly, everyone's like, oh, yeah, there's a good reason for us to work together. You know, we are stronger together. And I think that that's an exciting future for you guys. Yeah, it's been crazy. 
so on my lobbying committee, you know, we have it like broken down into states. And so there's promoters that like, I know hate each other. I know they like have never, you know, like never worked together. And they're like, you know, on Zooms, like strategizing how to like get to their senators together. And so I'm really hopeful, you know, survival first, success second, right? First, we have to like make sure that our industry and not just the big guys and not even like, but not even like, it's not just the first avenues and IMPs and other planets that survive this. We have to like be looking out for all of our industry and all of the independents that that's our responsibility as community members right now. And so first we have to make sure that everyone survives this and then, you know, start strategizing how we can share resources and share knowledge and really benefit the ecosystem for the long term. also. Definitely. So Nuri, let's talk about, you were saying that there was a matching donation for Crew Nation. One of our questions is how can we help advocate and support the associations during the pandemic? So is there a place that people can continue to give to Crew Nation? Yeah, easily through the Music Forward website. There's a, a, a donation link through that. But I think, you know, these are where also we're doing something with Fearless Records in a week and a half where there's some merch that'll be donated and, and some artists have also been donating merch. We're trying auctions and, and different types of revenue streams. I think even Music Forward is a nonprofit a number of our revenue streams came from live entertainment. So the nonprofit as well is really hitting and getting hit by this impact as well. And so I think we're all, I think you hit it on the, the head with the innovation. I mean, we're all trying to find different ways to raise awareness in dollars. But yeah, I think everybody's donation pages are open and available. I don't know, with Neva, do you guys have a, a funding stream and, and looking for financial support for that as well through, through the site? It'll be up in the next few days. I think we've realized when you start something this quickly that some of the obvious checkboxes go unchecked for the, for the beginning. We're really encouraging people to be able to donate towards the venues themselves right now and being able to support the venues. And, and most of them have GoFundMes up. And I think that is the most important place to be able to spend a dollar if you have a dollar. If there are commercial partners that want to help us with this fight, we will gladly have that conversation and contact info is through the website. But as far as like, you know, general fans being able to support, it, it really is about keeping it in the community and, and helping, you know, your neighbors out. You can also check out our website. Wait, Moose, we got to push it. N-I-V-A-S-S-O-C.org. Just, just a little plug. And we will put that in the chat box as well. And we'll have that on our website at musicbiz.org so that people can find stuff. You know, anything that we've talked about, you guys can find on our website as well. One thing that I wanted to bring up with you guys is I don't feel this way, but then I'm a person who's played in a band and gone to see live shows my entire life. But I know that some people have said like, oh, well, with the rise of live streams, artists playing from their bedroom or whatever, is there a fear that that's going to challenge the live market in the future? Will that be able to happily coexist? I see that completely different things personally. I just thought I'd throw that out there. I mean, I'm sure like somebody said that about movie theaters at some point back in the day too, but nothing replaces the experience of going to a show ever. Nothing. 
it's like saying, you know, hey, when this is all done and we can go out again, why don't we sit around on Friday night and Zoom each other, right? Like, it's just, it doesn't <laughs> In a way, yeah, I mean, I think you're all, you're preaching to the choir. I even, you know, you even see some of the notes coming in from the people listening. I think we can, we all can like hold hands around our love of life and, and just the sheer like biological reaction that we have like the heartbeats that connect and sync you know that connect while we're together the brain waves that align i mean there's physical thing that happens to us outside of, of the community building and that whole connection that happens it is an industry that all of us are invested in and will continue to be invested in ensuring that it stays as as healthy and vibrant as it can be I think that's a pretty great place to leave it. I mean, you know, a pay on to the glory of live music, going to see live music, playing live music, all of the above, you know, so love it. And we can't wait till it comes back, but I'm with you, Dana. I think that it's great that you guys are going to wait till it's safe. And that unfortunately may not be tomorrow or the next day or even six months or a year from now, you know, we just have to see how this whole thing unfolds. But in the meantime, congratulations on Neva. That's very exciting. Congratulations on Crew Nation. And thanks to all three of you for being with me today. I appreciate it.
That was Without Applause by Horse Feathers. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Lithics, Wimps, Horse Feathers, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at thefutureofwhatshow.com and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was recorded via Zoom and in my closet and is produced by Will Watts. I'm Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. Stay safe, wash your hands, and I'll see you next week.